In a world full of boring stories, bad videos, and marketing misinformation, one very tall man with a weird last name will use his microphone. Is this thing on? Use his video marketing knowledge. It's the red button, right? And use his friends. Please be on the show. To change that. You are listening to The Garlic Marketing Show with Ian. What? No, that's how you pronounce it. Well, if you say so, your host, Ian Garlic. Welcome to the Garlic Marketing Show, and today's show is brought to you by Authentic Web. Our agency helps tell the story of your company through dynamic case stories and other storytelling. And today we're going to talk with a design expert, a guy that's built a community of 400,000 and uh, is starting, launched a new podcast. Uh, Tom Ross, thank you very much for being on the show. Thank you so much for having me, and I appreciate that. Um, it's, yeah, it's, it's fun to talk to you. Um, and we got a lot to talk about, but tell me, let's get everyone up to date on what you've done and what you're doing right now. Yeah, sure. I mean, how far back do you want to go? Really? <laughs> <laughs> well, tell me about the point where you decide to become an entrepreneur. Okay. Um, I was 12 years old and I was sat with my buddy, Nick, uh, American friend of mine. And we're sat in his house and he right clicked on a web page and hit view source and suddenly all the HTML and stuff like that sped out. And I was like, what the hell are we looking at? And he explained to me that people coded websites. They didn't just exist. People actually built them. And when I saw that code spit out, it was like the first time I saw the matrix and I was like, holy shit. Okay. There's something here. And so we started building websites together. He is now a very proficient uh, developer. He's got a great career in that. And I went more like the design and marketing side. And so we just paired up as a couple of kids and we started building websites from that very young age. And so a bunch of them never saw the light of day. They were just passion projects. You know, we'd make them look nice, put a load of time in and, and never execute and follow through and launch them. But some of them we did. And so there were all kinds of random ventures over those early years. We had one where we were trying to get a million people to upload a photo of themselves to this giant grid. I don't know. If, do you remember the uh, the dude who sold a million pixels worth of advertising? No, no. Um, it, it was years and years ago. I think his name was Alex or something. And it was a real like kind of gimmicky thing. But literally, he made a million dollars because he had this big thousand by thousand grid of um, a million pixels. And people would pay to buy a pixel or multiple pixels that click through to their website. And they pay a dollar per pixel. Sounds stupid, right? But it, no. at the time it worked. So around that kind of time, we we just played on that. We did something similar uh, and we did it with a million faces. And we didn't get a million, but we got thousands and thousands of them. And then we started doing it where you could pay for like one spot on the grid. Sorry, for free, you get one spot on the grid. If you wanted multiple spots and a bigger photo of your face and you could link to your website, you had to pay. And so at one point, we were a couple of young kids still. And we were making like $200 a day. Um, just during the busy times and we'd be at school and my mum would be moderating it from home texting us to like our old school mobile phones being like we made another sale boys and so that that kind of was like the early inception point all of that kind of stuff oh awesome awesome so then the tell me about the evolution of it where you made into a real business 
Yeah, sure. So dabbled in that kind of stuff, then um, got more and more into web design, did a freelance career for a decade or so. Um, so learned a lot of, you know, how to sell and deal with clients and things of that nature. Then launched a Photoshop blog. Um, and that was very predicated on trying to teach people design. But a lot of the marketing I was consuming at the time was basically saying, you know, you should go for traffic, you should go for those big vanity metrics. I, I think I was Googling how to do internet marketing and <laughs> the, the, the crap it spits out, I'm sure you can imagine. So I started chasing things like traffic and it worked. So after my first month, I had 100,000 visits to my blog. And then pretty soon I amassed like over a million visits. And I thought, man, I've made it. This is awesome. I started like selling adverts on it. I paid my way through college with it. And even though I did okay, um, it never turned into like a real scalable big business, something to support me for my life. And I pretty soon realized that I'd been chasing the wrong things. I'd been chasing meaningless traffic. I'd been chasing these vanity metrics and it felt a bit hollow. I didn't really have a community at the core of what I'd built there. And so on the back of that, and after a few kind of other um, tough ventures and things of that nature, I ended up landing upon the concept for Design Cuts, which is my current company. And that's been going a little over five years now. And that's what changed everything. Because from day one, I went in thinking, you know what? I don't care about those metrics. I don't want the most traffic. I just want a group of people that actually care about what I'm putting out. And so my number one metric I was chasing was engagement and building a real community around this thing. And so from day one, that's exactly what I did. And ironically, that then scaled to be the biggest and best thing I'd ever created. So from that humble inception point of just getting a few people to care, it's grown out. We've had millions and millions of visitors. We've got 400,000 customers. We've got customers in every country in the world. And we've got a team of nearly 20 people downstairs now. And it's the thing I'm most proud of in this world. That's amazing. 400,000 customers. I mean, and, but I, I think the, the big point too is that you didn't jump to 400,000 customers. It was a process, right? Um, Completely. So if you had to start it all over, would you have done anything different? Yes. <laughs> well, well, yes and no. I, I, I tend to think in business and life when it comes to this question, possibly not because, you know, it makes you the person you are today. Mm hmm. That being said, uh, there were some very, very rocky times. So in the first uh, 12 to 18 months to get the company off the ground, I worked 18 hours a day, seven days a week. I was working over 100 hours a week. I lived and breathed the whole hustle culture. That was kind of like early days hustle culture, if you remember mm -hmm. the inception point of a, a lot of that kind of Gary Vee stuff, right? Yeah. And literally I would be like 4 a.m. falling asleep on my keyboard, like slapping myself in the face, and listening to some Gary Vee to power through, I was destroying myself. And what that ended up with was me hospitalizing myself under the stress and, and the general fatigue of it all and having major stomach surgery on the back of it. Oh, my gosh. And so um, after that, I had a two-year recovery where for quite a while I could not eat without it being agonizing. I was on a liquid diet. I lost a bunch of weight overnight. I looked like an 80-year-old man. Like I could barely stand up. And the whole time I couldn't really rest properly because I had to keep my company going. So I was there trying to like champion morale and manage people and push everything forward. But I was just a physical and mental wreck. I was like... I'll be driving to work and like crying with the frustration because for a long time it didn't get better. And I thought, holy crap, I've ruined the rest of my life. 
like getting this company off the ground. I've literally ruined my life forever. And that was incredibly scary. And so to answer your question, um, I probably should have hired quicker because we didn't hire. We, we were profitable immediately because we had basically no costs and we went on to have a very successful first year. But I was such a control freak and trying to do it all. And I was so frenetic and like had this hustle and this adrenaline. I didn't hire anyone for 10 months, which in retrospect is nuts. Yeah. And even they were, they were part time, even when we hired them. Like by that point, we should have had like freaking 16 members. It was ridiculous. <laughs> Uh, that's well. I mean, that's a scary story, but I mean, it, it, it makes you what you are. And I think a lot of people, if they haven't been through it, um, you know, the downs of being an entrepreneur, um, then you don't really understand it. Uh, no, and it's it's real. I think when you talk to entrepreneurs, they have no idea. Like they're just not willing to put in the sacrifice. And I'm not saying it's a good thing. What I did was pretty dumb and pretty dangerous, but you need some level of sacrifice. I, I talk about this all the time. Like I've got business partners. They put their house on the line, like nearly left that, lost their house. Like there's, there's a thousand ways you can have the sacrifice, but it doesn't just happen without that. Yeah. Oh, I agree. You have to sacrifice um, and know that you're, it's going to fail at some point too. Something's going to break. And um, that's what you learn from. But Mm -hmm. and from I mean, obviously, from the marketing standpoint, things took off right away. What do you think was the the key to your marketing early on to grow it that fast? Yeah, so I think really two things. I did some thinking. And like I said, I wanted to start the company based on engagement. So when I was chasing traffic, I was doing tactics which led to traffic, but not good quality traffic. So a lot of the traffic might come from like things going viral or stumble upon and all these crappy sources where very bad retention rate and things of that nature. So I knew what are the ways where people are going to be the highest quality visitor and it's referral, right? They're always the highest quality. And so I thought, well, how am I going to get referral? I'm going to get a small community to start with and I'm going to offer them such a great service and build such depth of relationship. They're going to tell their friends And then secondary to that, I'm going to work with partners and affiliates and JV people because that's also a form of referral because it's it's coming from a trusted source. So essentially those two things and then ignoring a lot of the other crap in the industry just to like we, we could have five times the size of audience we have right now if we'd done a lot of the things our competitors do. If we wanted to be like sign up and get like a free iPad or something like we could have a bigger membership base, but I didn't care about that. And I still don't. I care about having a a relatively smaller group, but who care very, very deeply and are super engaged. So who who is your membership base? It's all kinds of people, to be honest. Um, The bigger we grow, the more varied it becomes. But we got everyone. We got like big companies and agencies. We've got freelancers. We've got digital scrapbookers, uh, retirees, hobbyists, like novices, graduates, all kinds of creative people, but essentially designers, creatives, those kind of characters. Awesome. Awesome. And, uh, tell, I mean, tell me a little bit about how design cuts works and, and what it does, because we've talked about the inception, but I, really I want people to understand what you guys do. Sure. So we are basically a a website, a kind of marketplace for buying the resources and tools that creatives use day to day. 
And this can be all kinds of stuff. It could be fonts that you use in your blog or your landing page. It could be graphics or infographics. It could be illustrations that people then put on a a T-shirt or a, a mug to sell. It could be brushes, which they do hand lettering with. All that kind of stuff. And and for me, um, a big lesson that I learned in my journey is it really doesn't work to be like number two or number seven or number 11 or whatever in your market. I genuinely, I, I tried this when I was younger. I thought that guy over there is making a million dollars a year. So if I'm just 10% as good as he is, I'll make a hundred grand a year. <laughs> One of the dumbest assumptions I've ever made, right? And it's not the case because why would someone want something 10% as good? They just go and get the best thing. Yep. And so that's something I really, really push in what we do. We've got a, a select few USPs that make us unquestionably like the no-brainer option for creatives. It's like whether it's better prices or better licensing or anything like that. Um, I think that's super important. Whatever market you're in, even if you have to niche down more to get there, I think you should try and find a way to be the best option for people. That's a gr- that's great advice. So, how did you determine the those uh, selling propositions? Those are you- <laughs> yeah, it was kind of fun. So, um, I had been burnt very badly in business, which I I won't get into today for legal reasons. (laughs) Um, And so in this phase, I was kind of picking myself up and and it was around this time I started Design Cuts. And so what I did was I I went David Bowie with it. And I don't know if you've heard how he used to write his lyrics, but he would sit on the floor and he'd surround himself with like imagery and words. um, And then he'd almost like kind of pick them out at random, combine them and, and use that to percolate on the idea and create something cool. And so I did that, but I did that with the entire state of our market. Uh, I did that with all my competitors and I analyzed everything. So it wasn't accidental. It was very systematic. So it was like, how good is everyone's customer service? Okay. They're five out of 10. They're seven out of 10. They're three out of 10. How are we going to be 10 out of 10? And then I did that with every single part of the business. Very, very systematic. How are we going to beat every single person in every single area and through doing that you become the best that's awesome that's great great advice um and i need to take some notes on that <laughs> you can have fun. you can really have fun with it as well i think people get paralyzed often with this stuff but really get out of your head get away from the monkey brain and just get it all down on paper like make a freaking collage go on a whiteboard like lay it down on the floor like i did you can just spend a day on it spend an afternoon on it brainstorming and it should be fun. Like I even did it to the point where I printed out our competitors' logos and chose a different color from what they had. So it wasn't just about being better. It was about differentiating. It was like, oh, well, all their company names sound kind of cheap and are worded in this kind of way. So we're going to do something completely different. That's fantastic. I mean, that, that level of market research. I mean, because, I mean, in, in the essence, too, you are in a, a commodity-based market. Right. So it's 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 first a commodity and then a service. Right. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Sure. um, So let's talk a little bit about that engagement and content. And before we do, you you know, this is all led to your latest undergoing of of the Honest Entrepreneur podcast, uh, building your personal brand. We were talking a little bit about that. Why did you determine now is the time to be doing all that stuff? So there's a couple of reasons. The main one is that I never wanted to be the guy who was dispensing advice when I hadn't done it and I didn't have a track record. 
And truthfully, I had been that guy previously and it sucked. So when I was running my design blog, there's I quite actually, a few of those people. Uh, there really is. And most I don't of them. Blame, yeah, like 99.9%, I would say. And so um, I, I mentioned my blog, it was getting a lot of traffic. So I thought, oh, I guess that makes me an expert. And I did an offshoot of it where I started teaching advice about building a successful blog. And I shouldn't have been doing that because I, I was like barely making a full time living from it. I didn't clearly know what I was doing. The one thing I knew how to do was how to drive a lot of worthless traffic. I could have done a course on that. That would have been fine. Um, so <laughs> the main thing was I've just been biding my time. I've, I've wanted to do the personal brand thing for years, but I didn't want to be one of those guys. I, I wanted a real business, a real track record under my belt. And a lot comes with experience. It's like, I know how to build a culture and build a team and manage people and overcome hurdles and scale a business. Like all this kind of stuff that only comes with experience. You really can't fake it. So that's kind of the main reason, but equal to that, I cannot help it. I love this stuff. I love this stuff so much. It keeps happening. Um, not just online, but in real life where like the other week, my best friend's brother, alluded to the fact that he alluded to the fact rather that he was starting a business before I know it, I'm having dinner with the guy drawing business plans for him on napkins. Like I'm helping the woman that runs our local coffee shop. There's like dozens of people in my life, my personal trainer, like I can't not talk about this stuff. I'm so passionate about it. And I started thinking, you know, often like clarity only comes in hindsight. I started thinking over the years, like what do I keep gravitating back towards? And it's helping other uh, other entrepreneurs. I love it. I've been in forums where I would just start threads and spend days in there giving advice for free. So I think um, I think I, I, that's another lesson I've learned. Like so much of that just comes from the doing and the journey. I couldn't just arrive at that point and go, oh, that's what I'm put on this earth to do. It's only through years and years and years of grinding it out. And it's only when you look behind you, the pieces fall into play and you're like, ah, so that's my thing. Yes. Yeah. And, but I mean, the, the point is the years and years of grinding out and it's, it's frustrating to me to see, cause there's a lot of good people who have done it like you, but the, you know, it's funny because the people, a lot of times I encounter with people that are really, really, really good at what they do. They think they don't have enough knowledge to go teach it. And they're the ones that really should. Whereas yeah. then, then you have the people that are like, Oh, you know, and I've, I've had calls like this many times where it's like, Oh, I want to learn it and then teach a workshop on it. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, it's like, I'm, te I'm teaching business. Well, what business have you built? The business on teaching business. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And uh, I mean, yeah. And like, yeah, you, yeah, no, it, it's, it's, it's interesting. And also like the different stages of business, because it is a completely different stage when you're a year, two years into it and you've got that ability to hustle and, and you're not, you know, you, you haven't been grinding out for five, six, seven, ten years. It's a completely yep. different business. Um, yeah, and it's a completely different mindset too. Um, so that's awesome. So if from a, I mean, I love talking about the entrepreneurship, and I could talk about it all day. But, <laughs> Likewise, man. <laughs> yeah, uh, um, but you know, since it's a marketing podcast, and there's lots of awesome entrepreneur podcasts like your own, um, we'll, we'll talk a little bit about the the marketing side of it now. What kind of advice, and as specific as possible, would you give to entrepreneurs, A, the starting out, or B, the ones doing it right now, um, 
as far as where they should go with their marketing. And specifically, you know, we work with a lot of service businesses. So somewhat what, like what you do, but, you know, I'm sure you work, since you work with so many designers, it's service-based businesses. Oh, yeah. I work with a lot of freelancers and people like that. So I guess that's pretty applicable. Yeah. So what is the big piece of advice that you would give them for 2019 <clears throat> right now for moving yeah. forward with their marketing, creating their marketing plan? Yeah, I touched on this before our call, Ian, and um, to be honest, it would be more about brand reputation than sales. I think that's a fundamental shift a lot of people need to make, and and to dig into that a bit deeper, um, I think, like some of the douchey marketers and entrepreneurs that we mentioned before, um, I think everyone's so pushy. People behave online in a very bizarre way. I did an episode on this recently called how to not be a dick online because it frustrated me so much. (laughs) And and people do like these perfectly nice, normal people. They get online and suddenly they're like spamming people's LinkedIn or like follow for follow on Instagram. And even if they're working with clients, they're constantly thinking like what's in it for me. And um, I don't know, are you familiar with the guys at fizzle.co? No. So it's a, a membership community for entrepreneurs. They were like previous business mentors of mine. I'm actually jumping on their podcast later, which is like a, a real kind of trip down memory lane. And one of the greatest lessons they ever, ever taught me was they said, don't use your audience, serve them. Mm-hmm. And that is such a game changer. I, I'm going to say it again. In fact, it's that important. Don't use your audience, serve them. Because I feel like 99% of people are using their audience. They're thinking, what's in it for me? How am I going to get more money out of this person? How are they going to benefit me? How are they going to build my brand? As soon as you flip that and you start thinking, what can I do for them? How can I serve them better? It changes everything. And so that can lead to all kinds of tactical marketing stuff, right? That can lead to actually something I did, um, with my business, but absolutely applies to service-based businesses. That applies to stuff like um, sending them a random thank you out of the blue. Because if you have a client base, they're gold dust to you, right? You should appreciate them so much. So something no one does is, it's not Christmas time, it's nothing like that. It could be like, you know, January 17th or July 12th, and you just send them something out of the blue and say, I just wanted to say how much I appreciate you being a client of mine like not asking for anything here at all. There's no upsell. Just wanted token of my appreciation. Thanks for being awesome. You realize like how far that goes. Mm-hmm. Another thing I did when I started the company, I spent two months where every single day I jumped on a one hour call like this with customers. So I was working 18 hours a day. I didn't have a minute to waste. I was frantic and I would spend an hour out of every single day calling customers so I could say, how can we serve you better? How can we do an even better job for you? What are your pain points? Like, what don't you like about the service? What do you really like? And so not only would they feel incredibly valued and stick around and and be part of that ongoing community, but I would get at least two golden nuggets of advice that I would then execute on, directly pour straight back in the business, and then get back to that person and said, you know that great feedback? We've done it. I hope it helps you. That's that's fantastic. And you know it's funny because it's something that – we've done before and like that that aspect of it not just listening to them but showing them how you've implemented it because we're all growing and then they become i mean i bet you those people became some of your better your biggest refers some of them have bought every single thing for five years yep yeah i mean that one hour right and yeah it, it's funny because you're talking about gary v who's been on the podcast and we talked about this too but it's it, i think it's one of the biggest things that you know the 
things that get across what's scalable is not necessarily valuable. Like, and we've gotten yeah. to this whole idea that we have to have something that's just scalable and it's going to, like you were saying, go viral. I, I love going on scalable. It's my favorite thing in the world because people always think 15 steps ahead. They're worried about how do I scale when I've got a million customers? It's like, you don't have eight yet. Like why are you worrying about it? Start on scalable. And it's, it's not just, you know, myself, it's not, it's not Gary V. Tons of people teach this like minimum viable audience, right? Mm-hmm. You've got to start small. You've got to prove the market. You've got to get that small audience and pivot and iterate and validate very, very quickly. And so don't like, don't freaking think 10 steps ahead. Don't think scalable. Like I'll, I'll give you an example of something unscalable I did recently. Um, so this Christmas, I said, we should do something for our suppliers. And we work with about 400 of them. We should do something around Christmas. Maybe we do a Christmas video. And then I was like, no, that's kind of lame. That's going to feel like generic if they all get the same video. So I stood there for two hours and did a personalized message for each one of them as a video. And then we spent like a day cutting it up. And then we sent out 400 personalized videos for every person that we work with professionally. And the response is like, they, they were like, who does this? Like, you know, who takes the time out of their day to do that? And it just blew them away. And that is one out of a million ways that you can do it. But if we can do it, like you certainly can, you know, to the person listening who's worried about being unscalable, like we're busy as hell. But if we can find the time to do that, then you can. I think that's that's fantastic advice because everyone tells me they don't have the time to do it, don't have the time to do it. But when you're working 18 hours a day and for most of the people listening, if they added one or two clients a week, they probably wouldn't be able to handle it. <laughs> yeah. Like, well, the beauty of it is like the smaller you are, the more you can do this stuff or at least the deeper you can go. And that's a really precious thing. I miss the days when we had a hundred customers because I could be best friends with all of them. I can't do that with 400,000. So it's a golden opportunity and realize that this is the very inception point for everything that's to come. So you need to get this as engaged. They need to care so, so much. They need to just be so bought into your brand because they are the start of it all. Anything that kind of spiders out from them will probably be a diluted version of them. So you need to get them completely on it. That's awesome advice. That's great advice. Um, What... What now looking back, I mean, obviously you talk about the worthless traffic, but after you got past that, um, in recent years, what do you think is your biggest marketing quote unquote failure or mistake that you've done? Yeah, it's a really good question. Um, I don't know if it's a failure, but honestly, it's a juggling act because at a certain point you do need to do more outreach. And so as much as we've been great at like, fostering community and that kind of thing i also recognize the need for a constant influx of new customers Mm -hmm. which is something we're kind of pushing more and more right now so um for me that is the eternal struggle because if i had my way i'd just be there like being best friends with all the existing customers i've I've got an analogy right if you uh, think of a phone company they they suck you in they've got a real like compelling offer they treat you fantastically and then you sign up and they forget about you and you get the automated price hikes and then they're romancing the next hundred customers. And that's how people tend to behave with their clients, with, with their Instagram followers. Like if, if they got a hundred followers, they're thinking about how do I get the next hundred over there and they're neglecting the current hundred. So for me, I would love to spend my whole day nurturing just the people we have and not worrying about anyone else. And that's one of my weaknesses 
uh, is inherently in, in that because I'm now coming to terms with actually, yes, I know we need to get the, the new customers over there, which invariably shifts some of the attention away from our current customers. But it's, it's super interesting because actually like I, um, and we'll put a link to this in there, but I just made a list of like 14 things that people should do with their marketing. And it was all about nurturing and, and, you know, because we spend so much time on that, getting that lead, everyone wants that lead, but mm-hmm. then they, I'm like, well, what are you doing to follow up with them? Well, have you, talk to your current list. I, you know, I work with, um, a lot of right now we're talking to a lot of people that are providing stem cell therapy. And I'm like, well, have how many people on your list? 3000. Have you emailed them? No. When's the last time you talked to them? I don't know, but you want new leads, (laughs) (laughs) which I mean, you're unusual. It's, I mean, it's, it's, I think it's the reason you're successful is because of what you've done. And that's what creates referrals. And people want to automate that, but like you said, it's unscalable. And that's great advice. Well, I think you can automate some of it. So this is, I I think most people, they're small enough in their audience that they can just do hand-to-hand combat and, and nurture. But if you're bigger like we are, then there's some hacks. So, for example, if you've got a million people in your audience, you're not going to be able to personally email or message each of them. But what you can do is you can come up with ways for them to identify if there's someone who's more likely to be an engaged, valuable audience member. So you could send out an email and be like, click here in the email if you want to go and be part of like our special club or want to participate in this kind of thing. So what that does is straight away the bulk of your list who won't open the email are gone. And then the ones that open the email, most of them won't click. So they're gone. And then out of the remaining people that click, they go through and then you kind of have some kind of thing they need to go through there. So they don't all bother to fill that out. So when you end up with the final, like, I don't know, 5,000 people out of a million, then suddenly you can treat it like your audience is 5,000 people again. And you can do more hand to hand combat and nurture those people because they have effectively put their hand up and said, I care more than the rest. I'm engaged. Yeah. I mean, that's classic direct response. Um, yeah. And, and like, and you like, you can do it in so many ways though. Like I, I do this regularly on Instagram. So, um, if I put something in my story and I'm like, guys, like message me if you need help with something, then it's like, okay, they're the people I should be focusing on. I can ignore the followers that followed me three years ago and haven't looked at my stuff since. I don't need to worry about them. Which, but it's funny too because everyone wants to find the new person, right? They, they're yeah, the, they, and then they don't engage their current followers. And I think that's a huge, huge flip. Um, awesome, great, great advice. So, tell me a little about the honest entrepreneur and what you're doing with this podcast. What What are you gonna? What's the plan here? <laughs> I'm not sure I fully know yet. <laughs> That's <laughs> very honest. Well, so, yeah. <laughs> so um, I, I know the long-term plan and I know my current short-term plan. And the short-term plan is literally help as many people as I can in the limited spare time I have because I'm doing this around my day job and I feel like it's my secret weapon that I'm not charging and I'm not selling anything because 99% of marketers are and that's completely fine especially if it's their day job but I love being able to say look I'm CEO at Design Cuts that's my day job like Mm -hmm. I don't need your money I don't need to sell you like a $29 ebook I literally don't need that and so I'm doing this for the true passion of it and the true love of doing it and so it is literally just trying to help as many people as possible I'm having a, a weekly call where I give free consultancy to people I got a 
inbox full of DMs right now with questions and people asking for help on their business. And I'm going to get back to all of them after this. Like I'm just doing as much as I can until it breaks. That's all. And then I'll find ways to scale it. (laughs) (laughs) Just as long as you don't get sick again. Uh. (laughs) I've I've learned balance now. So like as much as my natural inclination is to work through the night on this stuff. Now it's like I finished my day job. I do as much as I can in like an hour to 90 minutes. And then I spend time with my girlfriend and then I get a good night's sleep because I, I just die. Otherwise, if I go back to how it was. That's good. Good. Yeah. You, you definitely need, I mean, it's good and it's good to get that, that balance and people talk about, it. is it possible? I think there are those times you need to sacrifice, but then you didn't realize when you have to contract and yeah. And I, I actually think a big part of it is shifting expectation. So you mentioned Gary Vee before, and I know with his personal brand, he'd spend like eight, 10 hours a day outside his day job building that mm-hmm. just constantly doing some of the stuff we're talking about, like nurturing and messaging and so on. I wish I could do that, but I don't have his like physiology or whatever. Like I couldn't do it. I need, I need a lot of sleep. Like I, I've already burnt out once. Like I, I can't go through that again. So therefore my expectations scale back. Like I have to eat humble pie with it. I know what it could be the personal brand, but I'm happy to make it a slow burner. I'm happy to scale back my expectations as unnatural as that comes to me in line with the actual time I can commit to it. That's a, it's a great state to me in. I mean, the expectations, that's why I think a lot of people fail at businesses because they have this expectation that it's a year or two and they're going to be super successful and have something they can sell. Absolutely not. Like I, I have more under my belt than most entrepreneurs teaching this stuff. Right now I have like 146 YouTube subscribers, like 1500 Instagram subscribers. This is tiny. Most people are killing me right now. But, and it's like back to square one. It's like I'm a rookie again. But I don't care because it's exciting and I'm doing it for the right reasons. I'm not doing it so I can go and be a celebrity overnight. That's, yeah. Uh, and that's fantastic. That's, and that's what people need to realize. You genuinely are going to help people. And from there, it's going to work. It's, and it should be. I think this is the big mindset shift is that all the social media stuff, and I've been saying it since the get-go, and people still don't get it. It's like it's just an extension of how you should act in real life. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I mean, like you said at the beginning, people wouldn't go out and say the stuff that they put on video. Of course not, man. Who's doing like bait and switch in real life? Like luring people into their home and then being like, buy this vacuum cleaner. Like no one does it. But it's all right. You know, it's all right online because no one will meet you. Uh, Yeah. But But it's not. It's not. Online is transparent. Like your reputation is everything. And if word gets out that you're a colossal douchebag, then... That's not going to help you. <laughs> no, no. And, but it, you, like you said, yeah, maybe there are some people that will hit it, but they're not going to have duration and they'll disappear. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and then there's using your audience. You're not serving them. Exactly. It all comes back to that. Yeah. Um, so we people can find you at. Tell me about your. What, what's your personal website? Uh, so mainly, um, see, this is how early stage this is websites in the works it's mainly on my instagram which is tom ross media and then uh is the honest entrepreneur show on youtube for the video version um and then all the audio platforms and you said that people we were talking about before you have an offer for people to talk to you if they'd like yeah sure man so um I would say like hit me up on Instagram. So Tom Ross media, if you listen to this episode and anything you are struggling with in your business, marketing, social media, if you want like a a freaking critique of your landing page, I don't care what it is. 
reach out with a DM and I will guarantee that I will get back to you and help you. And like say, I've got nothing to sell. I'm not going to follow that up with like, buy this. Like, I just, I just want to help. Awesome. Awesome. And, and that's such a, a great value. So, um, we talked about, I know we've talked about a lot of marketing things, but if you were to give people, you know, service-based business, uh, you know, and we talked big picture, but if there's one action item that you said, if you do, this is the one thing that's working for me right now, what would you say that that is? I would say, again, it, it comes a little bit around the nurturing, but I know when I did service-based businesses, it was all referral. Mm-hmm. And referrals come from relationships. Like when I was a freelance designer, when I initially like got past the the early hurdles of the crappy clients and stuff and started getting some traction, I, I never marketed. Every single project came from a client being like, oh, my buddy needs a website. Like my friend needs help with that. I, that's just the truth. Like if you're doing something wrong, if you're in this for years and years and years and you're having to like relentlessly market yourself because it's so much easier from referral and not only that but you can generally charge more the whole thing's more seamless because they're going in with that trust you're you know you've kind of got the leverage more if you're pandering to the market constantly and this is true of a lot of designers i've I've got a larger podcast i do around design there's three co-hosts who are very very successful designers in their own right they all had exactly the same thing it was all referral based awesome so just do everything you can to make those clients feel like the most valuable person in the world because they're going to be more likely to refer you. And if you ever go in for the ask, make sure you've predicated that with a hell of a lot of value and relationship. And then the ask should only be a kind of like, by the way, if you know anyone that would appreciate my services, it would mean the world. Um, Or even throw in the like, and I'll give you 10% off your future projects if you refer a new client or whatever it might be. Oh, that's great. Great, great advice. Yeah. It's, it's funny because I was just talking about referrals, uh, right before this. And I, I, and I do think though that, you know, on the side of note of referrals that you, you especially have to concentrate on your online presence and a quality non-salesy online presence so people can get to know you. Yeah. Again, it's brand building. And I guess, um, maybe a final note around that is try to look for the clients that are going to be recurring because it can get quite exhausting if your clients are one time, um, for example, uh, dealing with a lot of designers, I've had designers that were working with brides to be, and so they do a bunch of bunch of stuff for their wedding. So unless they're having like seven weddings in their lifetime or something, um, you know that's going to be a one time client. Whereas when they shifted it and started working with wedding planners, the wedding planner would start providing all the clients. Yeah, the the and the, yeah, those channel partners is critical. Yeah. By the way, apologies if people are bellowing outside this office. It's it's near the end of the day for you, so it's acceptable. <laughs> Everyone's wrapping up, yeah. <laughs> awesome, awesome, Tom Ross. Well, thank you so much for being on the show. Um, once again, if you guys want to get a hold of him, uh, go to follow him on Instagram at Tom Ross Media um, and check out Design Cuts. Awesome service. People, I mean, obviously, 400,000 customers. It's it's doing a pretty good job. Um, I appreciate it, man. <laughs> and you can click on the show notes. If you're on your uh, phone, you can click on the show notes. It'll flip over. You can click through the links. And, uh, and like you said, if you want to talk to Tom about growing a business, especially an online business, or growing your audience, or doing the unscalable, um, you know, he's had that great offer on Instagram. DM him uh, today. Don't try and sell him something, though. 
<laughs> yeah, because I'll, I'll call you out very much. <laughs> um, but yeah, mention mention you came from the show as well. That yeah. would mean the world. If you're like, you know what, I listen to the podcast. Like, I think you do an awesome job with the podcast, Ian. So it'd be great to meet some of your listeners. Fantastic. Well, Tom, thank you so much for being on the show. Hugely appreciate it, man. It was great fun. Great fun. And uh, thank you all for listening. This has been Tom Ross and Ian Garlic and the Garlic Marketing Show. That's it for the Garlic Marketing Show. If you want to get the inside scoop and the latest techniques, make sure to follow Ian Garlic on Facebook.